Umpire fans and welcome to the Leading Edge, where we talk with umpires about umpiring and look to cover topics on both sides of the plate. Joining me on this episode is an umpire who started working in Regina, Saskatchewan, moved up to the independent professional ranks, and is now currently working minor league baseball. And a guy who still had training wheels on his bike at the age of nine, Kevin Manzik. So sit back, relax, get ready. It's coming. Hello, baseball and umpire fans, and welcome back to another episode of The Leading Edge, where we talk with umpires about umpiring and look to cover topics on both sides of the plate. Now, before we get rolling into episode eight, rock solid show lined up for you with Kevin Manzik, I want to thank you for everyone who has logged on to our Leading Edge Umpire Stories Facebook fan page and liked their statuses, has been sharing our page and getting our message out there. I sent a lot of stickers out this week for people requesting them. It's quite simple and I want to send you some too. All you got to do is go to our page, share our page, fire me your address in the Messenger app, and guess what? I'm going to send you some stickers. Not a bad deal. It's a win-win for everyone. One of the cool things that this show keeps rolling on is that there was a previous episode. That was episode 7 with New Brunswick Umpire Association past president and winner of the Dick Willis Award through Baseball Canada, David Cass. So if you missed that episode, here's a quick excerpt of what you missed. My first ever chest protector under my shirt was actually uh, my goaltender equipment. When you're between the lines and you're out there on the field, it, it's 100% baseball. But you have to take your feedback as you get it. Umpiring cost me money. <laughs> What's the local slang out there for a moose? Swamp donkey. That he got up and left and forgot to pay his bill. You glad that was me out there, not you? Yep. If it wasn't fun, I think I would have gotten out of this a long time ago. But is it in the bottom of the pool? <laughs> Sometimes the old dogs are hard to try to uh, get to adjust certain things. And hey, I'm guilty on some of that stuff myself. That was an excerpt from episode seven with old dog David Cast. If you've missed that episode and you want to find out, you can see it on Podbean, Apple iTunes Podcast, Google Podcast, TuneIn, Spotify, or wherever you like to find your own personal podcasts. Again, just want to talk about our Spotify playlist that we've created. It's a time-worthy playlist, aka any song that an umpire thinks would be really important to stop the game for and continue listening, or just that nice walk-in entrance theme. That's on Spotify. You just go in, look up Leading Edge Umpires playlist, and you should find it. Going to try something new here on the Leading Edge. We're going to have a Leading Edge challenge. This week, I challenge everyone who's listening to the episode to touch base with somebody who you haven't talked to in a while. Reconnect, say hello, find out how they're doing. You never know where it might take you. So challenge, reach out to somebody you haven't talked to in a while. Who knows what that'll bring. Now, without further ado, let's get to why you're here. Leading Edge Umpire Stories Entertainment is proud to welcome Regina native, current minor league baseball umpire, and a guy who secretly admires the Spice Girls, Kevin Manzik. Kevin, welcome to the Leading Edge. Thanks for having me on. Glad to be here. Now, Kevin, we're really glad you could make it here and join us on episode eight of The Leading Edge. One of the things we like to do on the show is we like to give the guests the opportunity to defend themselves and tell us really how bad of a baseball player they were growing up. So, Kevin, can you fill our listeners in with what your playing career was like before you got into umpiring? Yeah, so I started playing baseball. Um, I think, I don't remember the exact age. I think it was my, it would have been second year Mosquito. I started playing then, didn't start umpiring until I think it was I was my second year of peewee baseball. And then for, for a number of years, I played baseball, umpired at the same time. Um, I played all the way up until midget AAA, and then I played two years of junior baseball, 
I think it was about halfway to three quarters of the way through my second year of junior baseball. I, I decided to start focusing on umpiring. Um, it was just too much time to juggle both. I couldn't do it anymore. And I wasn't going anywhere playing. Um, I was starting to work my way up through the Baseball Canada ranks as an umpire. So I really started to focus on that at that time. Now you tell us you weren't really going anywhere playing. Can you at least tell us if you were any good at the game? I like to think I was. I probably wasn't that good. I couldn't really hit very well, but I was pretty good at playing defense. So I called myself a defensive specialist, <laughs> otherwise known as the guy that can't hit the baseball. Right. Now you've joined a special club. Most of the guests on the show aren't very good at the game. That's exactly why they get into umpiring. But can you share with us what position you played? I was a catcher for almost all my career. Um, then I think in, in midget, my knees kind of started going on me. Uh, so I switched to infield and outfield. I kind of played it all. Just loved being on the field. Didn't matter where I played, really. Well, it seems like a natural transition from catcher to umpire. How did that help you? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think it, it helped. I mean, being a catcher, you, you see so many pitches, then umpire, and you have to be able to call those pitches. So, I mean, I don't think it hurt my umpiring career now looking back at yourself in your younger days would you rate yourself as an umpire's catcher <sighs> considering there's a delay here i'm gonna go with no probably not i don't know i tried to be i want to say easier on umpires but i probably wasn't i don't think i would be an umpire's catcher i don't think i would like to have me behind the plate i bet you always called a really good game back there right always right when i was catching never missed a pitch i was just about to say that never missed a pitch <laughs> <laughs> perfection is in the eye of the beholder i guess they say right absolutely i don't think that's a saying but we're gonna go with that perfection is in the eye of the beholder or the catcher <laughs> it's good to hear that you've played a little baseball how do you think your playing career really helped you grow as an umpire yeah so i think um you know i played triple a baseball most of my life bantam i think that's u16 now and then under 18 in in triple a um, playing at that high level, you know, things happen pretty quick you know, for, for that age group. You know, every time you're moving up, it's getting faster. And I always felt like I was, I felt like I was able to read a play really well. Um, I understand what other people were going to do before most other people knew what was going to happen. So I think just, just being able to have those instincts as a player really transitioned over easily to umpiring for me. You know, I was always, I was a hockey referee as well. So I always had that officiating background. Even as a player in both baseball and hockey, I was thinking about the officiating side of it. And it was, it was easy for me to, to understand why things happen and how they're going to happen, when they're going to happen. Really beneficial for me to transition that into umpiring, to be able to read a play, to understand, you know, where I got to be to make that call. Best position is going to be to make that call. So yeah, I, th I definitely think it helped playing at that high level. I think playing at a higher level of baseball and playing later into your career definitely helps you as an umpire. I know, like yourself, I've played 21U and 18U AAA and had the opportunity to understand the game at a different level rather than leaving the game, per se, at, the thir at 13 years old. You know, we hear umpires do that. That doesn't really take away from their ability to umpire. And they have, there's lots of great umpires, but just in more baseball knowledge and baseball sense, I think always helps an individual. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's a different game from 13U to 18U. You know, guys are bigger, guys can throw harder, guys can hit the ball farther. Things happen a lot faster. So it's it's definitely, it helps you. You have to adapt. I mean, even just playing, you have to, to learn how to make decisions quickly as a player, just as much as you do as an umpire. Having that experience as a player, you know, kind of slowed it down for me when I went to umpire that level because I already, I knew how fast it was going to be. So I didn't have to worry that, you know, I've never worked a game this fast. I was, I was confident enough that I could understand things uh, quickly and, and make the right call. And I just want to add one more thing, Kevin. I think that playing at the high level also helps umpires develop game awareness and situational awareness so that when the emotions start to boil over, the umpires have the ability to understand how the game is being played at that level, i.e. inside pitches, hard slides, the emotions boil over. So it really helps to understand the game management skills as you progress. They're a lot different at 21U and senior than they are at the 13U, per se. Now, you say that playing at a high level helped you make the right call as you advanced. Now, we know you were a perfect catcher. Have you ever made a mistake as an umpire? Oh, plenty of them. I, I make them all the time. I mean, everyone does, right? I mean, nobody's perfect. I like to say I am, but I mean, I know I'm not. I'm getting better every day. And the day that I think I'm 
perfect at umpiring is the day I should retire because that's the day I'm wrong. Well, it's good to hear that you're humble about it, Kevin, because in all honesty, we're out there. We're trying to do our best. We are going to make mistakes. And a philosophy I always share is that you're only as good as your last call. Absolutely. You pitch it. Well, you got to work your way up to redeem yourself. For sure. Okay, we're not here to talk about your playing career. We're here to talk about your umpire career, and that's why it's called Umpire Stories. Just fill us in. When did you really get into umpiring? Yeah, so my first year of umpiring, I actually I refereed hockey the winter before um, as a way to kind of just make some money. I think I was 13, 12 or 13 years old just to make some money. So then I did that in the wintertime, and then the summer came around, and my dad said, you know, why don't you try umpiring baseball too? I mean, you know, you're referee hockey, baseball, you play baseball. Why don't you try, you know, officiating in baseball? So I tried that, you know, and I really enjoyed it in my first year. And it was, again, same thing. I was making making good money at that age. So I stuck with it. Turns out it was a pretty good decision. Well, now considering where you got yourself, I think it was a pretty good decision. Now be honest with us. Do you still umpire for the money specifically? No, not anymore. I do it for the love of the game now. Hopefully one day for the money, but for right now, I just, I love being on that field. Now, as we like to say in baseball, that's fair. And as we said on multiple episodes over the past, by the time you hit a certain age or threshold or skill level, money's not what brings you back to the game. No, and, and that's the thing. You know, once I think I was you know, 16, 17, it wasn't, wasn't about the money anymore. It was, you know, I, I enjoyed doing it. I was working, working some high-level baseball at that time, and I, I just loved coming to the ballpark every night being able to work those games and build those relationships with those other guys, you know, that I wouldn't be able to build a relationship with outside of umpiring. That's, that's the good thing is you get to meet all these new people that if you don't do this, you, you would never get to meet. Now, Kevin, where did you grow up umpiring? Yeah. So, so I grew up umpiring in, in Regina, Saskatchewan. That's where I, I was raised. I lived there almost all my life. I was born in Yorkton, but we moved when I was like two years old. We're sorry to hear Um, about that. (laughs) knew that was coming now kevin you spent a lot of years in regina in the baseball saskatchewan program do you have any memorable provincial championships yeah um so i I remember it was actually in my first year of umpiring i had the opportunity to work the mosquito i think i can't remember if it was double a AA or triple a provincials but I, in my first year i worked at provincials and then i was actually fortunate enough to be selected to work the gold medal game. Believe it or not, we did a four umpire system on that tiny little diamond. Um, so that was pretty cool for me in my, in my first year to, to be able to do that and work that four umpire system at that age was pretty, pretty interesting for me. Now there must not have been a lot of room to move on that diamond. No, it was, it was definitely a little crowded. I mean, <laughs> there was no leading off at that time. So no. we had the umpires on the outside and a four umpire system. So it was a little different than the normal one, but we made it work. Now, as funny as it sounds, I can justify four umpires in that level because I'm sure there was a lot of things that happened at the 11U. Oh, and that's that's the thing. If It's one of the best places to learn because you see so much crazy stuff happen. We call them umpire school plays because it's just crazy stuff that you never see in a real game that only happens maybe once in your career, but it'll happen every day in, in that age group. And crazy stuff does happen and it will happen. And one of the things I always recommend to umpires is if you want to work on your skills or your mechanics, Drop down a couple levels and work on that stuff there because you'll see it. Absolutely. I agree. Now, a little interesting fact for all our leading edge loyal listeners. If you remember Aaron Roberts, another one of our MILB guests, he has a history of working a Mosquito AAA Provincial Championship gold medal game. So obviously the road to the big show is to work Mosquito or 11U Provincial Championship gold medal games. You need to have that on your resume to move up. Now, you mentioned that you've worked some higher level baseball here in Baseball Canada. Can you fill our listeners in with some of that baseball and that caliber that you've worked here in Baseball Canada? Yeah, so I had the opportunity to work a, actually, I worked a Senior Men's Western Canada Championship. Aaron Roberts Um, also worked one of those too, so put that on your resume, people. (laughs) And then another tournament I worked was in, I think it was 2016, um, in Estevan, I worked the Sask Summer Games. And I worked the gold medal plate in that one. Now, do you walk around with all these gold medals around your neck? (laughs) No, actually, I didn't get any medals for them. Well, that's too bad, but no medals, but I'm sure you made lots of memories. Yes, absolutely. I mean, those those tournaments were always, always a fun time. I mean, hanging out with a bunch of umpires for whether it was, you know, five, six days. um, It's, it's always a great time. Now, Kevin, we've had other guests on the show and they've talked about the SAS Summer Games. 
Can you remember anybody from your crew that year? Yeah, so uh, my crew chief that year was a guy by the name of Mike Tardiff. He's he's a great guy. Um, he's someone that I looked up to as a younger umpire, and I feel like really helped me kind of <laughs> kind of develop. And then I know our supervisors were Elmer Jerkovitz, and I believe Trevor Jury was there as well. Well, Elmer and Trevor are two names across baseball Canada and international baseball at that as well. Now, one of the benefits of the SAS Summer Games is to develop memories and have some fun with other umpires, as you've mentioned. Do you have any cool stories that you'd like to share from that tournament? Yeah, so uh, I remember the one day. It was it had to be the hottest day of the tournament. I, I mean, 35 degrees, maybe 40 even. And there was the one guy who had, he had a plate coat. I think he had just got it that year, maybe, or just got it restored that year. So he was pretty excited about it. And he was getting ready to go work a plate. You know, and he was kind of humming and hawing, you know, should I wear this? Should I wear this? And, you know, I, I think at the same time, I want to say three or four of us all piped up and went, yeah, it's getting cold out there. Like, you better put it on. <laughs> like, I think if you don't put it on, you're going to be freezing. <laughs> so, like, right away, he threw it all in, bought in right for it, threw the thing on. And as soon as he opened the door to the locker room, you could just hear him screaming. He was mad. And I mean, <laughs> Like they were, I think they were running a little behind for that. So he didn't have time to come back in and change. So he, he had to go out there and wear this plate coat in 35 degree weather. And oh, he was not happy with us. But I mean, it was, it was just one of those things that was too funny to not do. I mean, you couldn't pass up the opportunity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you guys are out there in short sleeve shirts, I assume. Yeah, I, I think like I think my crew had just finished the game. They were just going out on the field we just worked on. Like we came off just sweating. Like I mean, covered. And he goes, "Do you think it's like? Do you think it's too hot?" No, no, no. It's getting cold out there. I think rain's coming. You know, you might not even play. And oh, <laughs> this poor guy had to wear this plate coat for. I, I think they went. I want to say two and a half, three hours for that game. Oh, that is a funny story. As umpires, we do like to play jokes on each other and set each other up for some funnies to have stories like today to share them years later. Now, I got to say, I do empathize with that guy because I do have a plate coat. And I'll tell you, I have worn it at 15 degrees and it's still too hot to wear. It has to be cold. You got to be near zero for that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anything above, I would say 10 degrees and you are, you are not doing well. Yeah, you are. And the one thing I know at when you work a three umpire system or anything less than a four umpire system, it's rather difficult to wear that coat because when you're rotating down the line, those balls, they swing in the ball bags and all you do is get hit in the can the whole way, every step, boom, boom. So it's 90 feet of getting sucker punched in the cup and then 90 feet all the way back. So... The, the things you yeah, learn you after you make a purchase. Yeah. The things you learn after you make a purchase, eh? It's like when you buy a car and you're like, oh, this is how it works. Yeah. <laughs> or when your wife convinces you you need a new washer and dryer and you have no freaking idea how to run it. <laughs> but the SAS Summer Games always has some fantastic memories and stories to share. So thanks for sharing that one. Now, moving on in the province, one of the leagues that a lot of umpires work as they mature is the Western league. Have you had any experience in that league? Yeah. So I actually, I only worked one season in that league in 2016. Um, that would be, I would have been 20 years old in that league. Um, so I don't remember how many games I worked. Um, I mean, I probably would have worked close to the amount of what the, uh, the guys that are hired for full-time work. I think it's 45 or 50 games. Something like that around that it, number. They run a 60-game um, schedule, I think, the teams do. And I think they work about yeah. 90%. Yeah, so I think it could be around that 45 to 50 number. But yeah, I mean, I only I only worked the one season in there. But, you know, it was definitely a challenge for me at that age. Um, that was the, the highest level of baseball I'd worked at the time. Now, there used to be a video that circulated on the internet. And unfortunately, I can't find it to oh, share boy. it. But did you have any objections at that in that league? I did, yeah. I had a few. One of them... If you've seen the video, 
you you know what uh, Phil is talking about here. Thankfully, I don't know who took it off the internet, but it's gone now forever. That's unfortunate because it's the most, no matter, most epic. No matter where ever. you look, you can't find it, no matter how hard you try. And I don't know who did it, but I thank them very much because I finally lived that one down. The best part um, about the video is your ejection mechanic. I just got to wonder... It was 2016. Have you at least worked on that ejection mechanic? Yes, I have. I no longer throw the same guy out six times. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, I think that might have been, I think that might have honestly been my first first real ejection of my career, now that I think about it. And it was, oh boy, what a fun one to have for the first one. But since we have no video to really tell the story, can you share with us quickly what happened? So what happened um, was there was a it was an inside pitch. I think it was a curveball maybe. It was coming right at the batter, and for whatever reason, he decided to swing at it. He, as he's swinging, the ball hit him in the thigh. I came up, just said time right away, and it was, I think it was a one and two count. There's two strikes. Of course. So I came up, time, you know, strike three, and you're out because he swung at the pitch. The ball hit him. It's now a dead ball, but it doesn't matter. He still swung at the pitch. It's still a strike. The manager for Moose Jaw came out of the dugout to ask me what happened. I said, you know, he swung at the pitch and hit him in the leg. We got a dead ball, strike three, he's out. I mean, I, I thought it was pretty clear cut. He didn't agree. He had uh, in his mind that there's no way that this guy would swing at a pitch that was coming at him. He thought he at least fouled it off and then it hit him. I had I had it 100% the whole way, hitting him in the leg without hit touching the bat, no foul ball, just a swing and a miss. Um, so we went back and forth. He had a little bit of a an issue with how young I was working the league. He kind of blew up on it. I ended up throwing him out about it. He said some things, made some comments about my age, refused to leave the field, thumped me a few times. Oh. I threw him out again. Three <laughs> um, more times just to make sure because he wasn't leaving. It was eventful. So what you're saying, this coach got ejected four times in the same game. Yeah, something like that. I don't remember the exact amount of mechanics I gave, but it was it was more than I needed to. That's for sure. Well, the most <laughs> important thing is that you learn from your mistakes. Absolutely. We no longer do that. So we're making progress. Well, tune in to next week's episode where we teach Kevin's ejection mechanic 101. Well, obviously you have progressed and you've learned from your mistakes. Now you're currently working minor league baseball. Can you share with us the pathway to get to minor league baseball? Yeah. Um, so the first step to doing that, once you, whether you've umpired before or not, um, is to, to get enrolled in umpire school, uh, whether it's uh, the Wendell State Umpire School in Daytona Beach or if it's the minor league baseball umpire academy in Vero Beach, it doesn't matter one of the two. Um, you go through that course. It is four weeks of rules in the morning from 8 a.m. till to lunchtime. You're reading the rule book from page one till the end, and it gets pretty boring and dry. Everyone's got to go through it, and then after that, you do your, your on field work where you go through you know the two two man positioning manual the basic mechanics of umpiring you know strike one safe out you go through all of it from day one you're taught everyone's taught as if nobody has any understanding of how to umpire a game of baseball you know they try to break all your bad habits uh, whether it's you know mechanics that they don't like voices you know positioning stuff like that they really try to to simplify it and go as basic as they can so everyone can kind of progress at the same rate they can kind of evaluate everyone on the same level. Now I'm going to cut you off right there, Kevin. I'm going to give you a chance to plug your school because we all like being an alumni of something. What school of the two did you go to? So I attended the Harry Wendell umpire school in Daytona beach. Now, what years did you attend? I went, uh, my first year I went was in 2017 and then my second year I went in 2018. Okay. So you've gone twice. Is that common for umpires who work minor league baseball? There's quite a few guys that have gone twice. Um, you know, there's there's guys that get in on their first try, and then there's lots that don't. You know, there's there's even guys that I know that are in minor league baseball that went three times. Um, there's no limit on the amount of times you can go. It's, it's up to you if you get in on the first try. Perfect. If you don't, there's, there's nothing wrong with coming back for a second year. Now, Kevin, you say you've gone twice, and it's not uncommon to see some umpires potentially go three times. I'm going to throw in an unofficial recommendation for everyone listening to tune into Jerry Davis's podcast. Now, Jerry is, of course, a major league umpire. His podcast is 12 for 12. And listen to the Phil Cuzzy episode. Phil is a major league umpire. And Phil attended umpire school four times before he was offered a job. 
what he really talks about in that episode is sometimes you got to come back and prove yourself that you've gone and worked on what they told you to. Absolutely. Now you've gone twice, so you must know. Fill us in. Was umpire school a grind? Oh, for sure. I mean, it's it's a long four weeks. So you go, you know, every day, Monday through Saturday, you're at the field from 8 a.m. until 5, 5.30 p.m. You get Sundays off. So you get one day off a week. Um, and even then on your day off, you know, you're still you're still in the rule book. You're studying for your tests. You're going over mechanics. There's guys, you know, I went to the field a few times on our days off to just go over some, some footwork and some positioning and stuff and go over some plays. It's tough. You know, you're for, for four weeks, you're all baseball and all umpiring all day, every day. Now you say that you would go back to the ball field on Sundays and fill your ball bags with some more work. Is that uncommon? I, I mean, I wouldn't say it's uncommon. There is, you know, there's always those guys that, that have that desire to, to improve. Um, I, I wanted to, to get better and I wanted to really show, you know, that I understood what they were teaching and I, I wanted a job in professional baseball. I thought it's not a bad thing to get those extra reps in, you know, whether it's only for an hour right. on my day off, you know, an extra hour can make that difference between getting a job in professional baseball or not. For me at that point, it was a no brainer for me to, to get those extra reps in. Now you said on Sundays, it was a typical off day. Would you find instructors hanging around the field then? Um, no, I mean, for the most part on, on off days for the, for the instructors, that's their only day off as right. well too. So they kind of try and get away. Um, you know, we see them around the hotel. You, you run into them the odd time at the field, kind of yeah. getting some stuff set up for the week, whatnot. But I mean, I wouldn't say like they're out there tutoring or anything like that. No. So you're just out there behind the scenes trying to get better. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's the thing with anything. I mean, I think that's, if you want to, you want to get better and you want the best that you can, it's going to be those times where nobody else is there that are going to make you better. It's kind of cliche to say it, but I mean, it's true. It's true, Kevin. And we've said it time and time again, sometimes umpires don't get the respect they deserve for the work that they put in behind the scenes to try to be the best umpire that they can be. Umpiring is more than just showing up. Yes, there's some guys that are naturally gifted that can work it and then work on their skills from there. But there are guys like Kevin who show up time and time again and put the effort out to be the best umpire they can be. So good for you, Kevin, for putting in that extra work and having it pay off. Thank you. Now you tell us that you went twice. What did they tell you after your first year? Yeah, so so after my first year, you know, they said they, they really liked the way it worked. They thought I was I was really close, they said. Um, you know, they said maybe if, if umpire school was a week longer, you know, and they had one more week to watch me, but they probably could have sent me on to the next step. After that, you know, I was told that they'd put me on the reserve list, which is, you know, if any guy's get hurt or sick, just don't accept a job in professional baseball. Then they kind of worked their way down that list and filled the spots from there. Um, so they told me, you know, they took down my information. They said, I wouldn't wait for a call. Yeah. You know, go back, work on the stuff we told you, keep practicing everything that we've taught you, you know, and come back next year and, and compete for that top returning student position. Now in other episodes, we've heard they tell people to go back and work the best baseball they can. For you, what was yeah. that baseball? Yeah, so for me, my, my initial plan was to come back and then I was going to work uh, another year in the Western Canada Baseball League or the WNBL at that time. Because you wanted to go to Moose Jaw? <laughs> yeah, I wanted to go back to Moose Jaw. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but in the end, what baseball did you come back and work? Yeah, so my plan was to do that. And then I was, I was actually on a vacation uh, following umpire school with my family uh, when I got a phone call about a camp. I'm going to plug the camp because I'm an alumni there too. Okay. Uh, it's called Pro Umpire Camp down in Houston, Texas. Um, you know, they said, hey, uh, one of our instructors here was an instructor at, at umpire school. You know, he, he's been talking. We've been talking about guys that, you know, didn't, didn't get into professional baseball this year, but they're told, you know, you're really close. Go improve on a few things. Come back next year and you'll get a job in professional baseball. Um, so I went down to this umpire camp down in Houston. Uh, that was another week. And then I ended up getting, after that camp, getting a job in the Can-Am League, which is an independent professional baseball league, uh, which is actually no longer in existence now. It merged with another league. What's it known as now? Uh, I think it's the Frontier League, I want to say. But yeah, so I went and worked in the Can-Am League, which is in Ontario and Quebec, and then uh, New York and New Jersey. So for me, I was just based out of Canada. So I worked out of Ottawa, Quebec City, and Trois-Rivières, Quebec. I worked 100 games in that league that year in three cities. It's a lot of baseball. Yeah, it is. Now, in that league, did you work as a complete crew every game? 
the crews were set up. They had two two guys that were on a crew, and they, they were mostly Americans that, that could go up and down across the border. Um, for some reason, you know, they couldn't get visas for us to go the other way, but they could get it. was easier for them to come up. They had their, I think there was, th- I want to say three, three full-time crews where they had two, two guys on staff. I was classified as a local fill-in, but I had, you know, a full-time schedule. I was out there for the duration of the season, but I only worked in Canada. So I kind of, I bounced around from crew to crew, but it was always the same three crews. So, I mean, you got to work, you got to know the guys pretty well and you worked well together. So you came back and worked at Can-Am League for what, one season? Yes, one year. Yeah, well, that sounds like it was your first experience at a true grind outside of umpire school. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, my first. I mean, I worked the, I worked the one year in the Western Canada League where I traveled a little bit, you know, but that's just going to you know Yorkton, Melville, Weyburn, and then coming home that night. Uh, and then when I went and worked in the Can-Am, uh, I was on the road from, I think it was, you know, May 1st to till September. So that was my first real real crack at, you know, being away for that extended period of time and umpiring baseball on the road. Sounds like a pretty good deal for a 20, 21 year old coming into their umpire career. Yeah. So I was, I was 21 at that time. I guess I would have only been maybe 20. I would have been, I don't know. I would have been 21. Correct. Yeah. Well, drinking age in Quebec is 18. So you were long past that, right? It's kind of a coming to age story. You could say for Kevin Manzek working the Can-Am league on field. What's one of the biggest memories that you have? One I think most memorable moment kind of thing was uh, there was a game in Ottawa and the manager of the team for Ottawa, his name was Hal Lanier. Um, I don't know how old he was, but to put it into perspective, he won the 1986 National League Manager of the Year. So what happened was there was a runner on first base and there was a ground ball, like a, a high chopper hit towards second base. The runner on first started running on the ground ball the second baseman started charging in and I was working, I was the third base umpire. So I was in the middle of the infield. The ball was coming pretty much right at me. So I was trying to avoid the baseball turn, see this play at second base, watch for the possible interference obstruction and not get hit with the baseball at the same time. So as I'm turning, I see that the runner is getting real close to number one, the baseball and then the fielder. I didn't see him hit the baseball. I didn't a hundred percent see him interfere with the fielder. So I gave a that's nothing signal. And as soon as I did that, I saw that the second baseman had slowed up to not collide with the runner from first. So I kind of went, oh, crap, here we go. And then as soon as the play ended, I could see the manager for the other team come running out. You know, I said, hey, hang on, stay right there. I'm going to fix it. We got the crew together. You know, I flipped the call, called the runner from first out. The Ottawa manager, Hal, came flying out. And, you know, he's a pretty calm guy. He doesn't get worked up too too often. Ottawa was going through a bit of a tough stretch in the year, I think. So he was kind of trying to fire the guys up. He got pretty heated. We went back and forth a little bit. I ended up having to throw him out. Near the end of the ejection, he took his hat off and like an old-time manager, fired it down at the ground, and then he picked it up and walked off like the gentleman that he was. <laughs> how, many, how many times did you eject him? Just the once. <laughs> Just the one. Good. We're glad you're learning. Well, Hal Lanier, in case you didn't know, 1982 World Series champion. And like you said, NL Manager of the Year. So you got a pretty big one under your belt there as a 20-year-old, I'd say. Yeah, and then so uh, funny enough, at the end of the year, I had the opportunity. We we t- ran into the, each other in the tunnel and we talked a little bit about it. You know, he said, I hope there's no hard feelings about that. I was just trying to, you know, fire the team up. And I said, hey, no, I, like, look, I, I respect you. He's, he's a great guy. You know, he handles himself very well in the field. So we, we ended up shaking hands. And, you know, it was, it was a good moment. Sounding by the age difference, you were probably young enough to be his great-great-grandchild. So he was probably yeah, feeling like a little that. bit bad. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm really glad you started that story off with, I tried to avoid getting hit with the ball. Because coming from Regina, I'm sure one of your mentors is a Mr. Stu Sherwater. Yes. Now, Stu is Canadian, and we're really proud of him up here in Canada. But he's unlucky quite a bit. He's been hit with the ball multiple times as a base umpire. And we like to give him some hard times and tease him. And uh, respectively, it does hurt when he gets hit with those line drives and takes doubles away from players. But if you want to see Stu Shearwater get hit with the ball, tune into our show notes and you can click the links there. Stu, we love you, buddy. Now, Kevin, back to you. Tell us, how did you mentally prepare to go back to umpire school for a second year? Mentally, I... uh... I just got, I got in the rule book as much as I could, you know, whether it was 15, 20 minutes a day reading the rule book, 
just really refreshing myself on that. And then the two-man positioning manual is a big part of it because we work two-umpire system all the way up until double-A in professional baseball. So knowing that is having a good understanding of the two-umpire system is a very good way to progress through your career. And then, you know, I, I wanted to develop my situation handling skills. So I, I actually read a very good book called Verbal Judo, and it's helped with diffusing situations and just the way you talk to people and, and listening to people to understand them rather than just respond in a situation. Just different things like that. Any any sort of little advantage that I could have over everyone else that I thought would, would give me that upper hand, I, I explored it. You know, whether it was going to the gym, conditioning, stretching, even doing yoga, just anything I could do to make myself better prepared. Now, Kevin, don't come on our show and lie to us. You weigh 136 pounds. I don't think you hit the gym that hard. <laughs> Hey, come on. I weigh more than that. <laughs> okay, 139 after Taco Bell. <laughs> what did you do differently at umpire school the second time around? I didn't change much. I mean, I didn't. I don't want to say I didn't socialize as much, but I was just, I would say more business and goal-oriented. There, I was there to get a job, not there to make friends that year. Maybe a little less so than my first year. I'm not saying that I didn't make friends no. or that I didn't talk to people. I just, I was very goal-oriented in my second year. I wanted to make sure that I got a job and that I didn't have to go back a third year. Well, that's fair because it's safe to assume there is a big difference between a 19 and a 21 year old and having an idea what to expect must've helped. Yeah, for sure. I mean, definitely, definitely kind of knowing what the instructors wanted, kind of what they were thinking, what they were going to do in different situations, definitely gave me a little bit of upper hand. And then I tried to, you know, if I saw a guy in his first year struggling, I know there's guys in their second year, when I was in my first year, that helped me out. So I wanted to to help those guys out as well as much as I could too. Well, I have to applaud you for getting it the second time. My wife routinely asks me three and four times to do things around the house and they yet to get done. So keep working on it. If you can figure out how to get stuff done by the second time, you'll have a happy long marriage. Now, what was different at the end of the second year for you? At the end of the second year, I was getting told I was going to the advanced course, which for me, you know, was was the first step in, in getting that goal and, and getting that job in professional baseball. And then, you know, they were they were very happy with with how I progressed from from year one to year two. They said, you know, we remember you from your first year. We told you to go work on this stuff. You did. Congratulations. We're gonna we're gonna reward you for that. We're gonna send you to the advanced course to go compete for this job in professional baseball. Were you surprised to get that news or that offer or more proud that you set a goal and you were going to work for it? I don't think I was surprised. I don't want to sound like I'm no. being cocky or overconfident, but I mean, I worked really hard to to make sure that I, I would get that, you know, that I'm getting sent to the advanced course. So I, I think it was definitely a feeling of proud of pride, a little bit of relief too, because that night before, before they tell you, I mean, I, both years, I didn't sleep much, even though, you know, going into that second year, I had a pretty good idea that I, uh, that I was going to get sent. I still, you don't sleep very much. It's a tough night. I can respect that. We've all been there where we've put in for a job and we're waiting for the job to call us back. So you got to the advanced course. You're working minor league baseball right now. What are some of the leagues that you've worked? My first year in 2018, I went down to uh, extended spring training in Florida. It's not a league, but that was my first uh, first crack at minor league baseball. So I was down there for a couple of months. And then the first league I worked was the New York Penn League, uh, which is around New York, Pennsylvania, Ohio, that area. And then last year, I was in the Midwest League, uh, which is Wisconsin, Michigan, all the way down to Kentucky in that area. And then this year, I was supposed to go to the California League. Now, when we look at caliber or chronologically, those are all advancements. Am I correct? Yes. Yes. So the first year, I started in a Class A short season league. Uh, and then last year would have been, it was it's called the low A classification. And then this year, I was scheduled to go to high A or advanced A. So the last league you technically worked was the Midwest League. Yes. So how many games a season would you work in the Midwest League? Uh, it's a 140 game schedule. Two, three, or four umpire crews? Two umpires. 100, so 140, 140 divided games. by two. That's 70 plate jobs. Every second night you're working a plate. Fantastic. Do you travel with your partner all season? Yes. So you, at the start of the year... Your partner and you, you get a rental car and you get your hotel rooms and you guys are together for the whole season. Sounds like marriage. <laughs> Who have been your partners so far? So uh, my first partner was a guy by the name of Sean Cassidy. He was an American guy. Uh, and then last year, my partner was Edwin Jimenez and he was from Venezuela. Now outside the Canadian ranks, because we know there's a few Canadian umpires in the MILB, is it common to have international umpires work the leagues? Yeah, there's actually, you know, there's quite a few 
international guys. We got, I don't know the exact numbers, but there's, I want to say maybe seven or eight Venezuelans. There's a couple of guys from the Dominican. There's a few from Puerto Rico. There's some from Japan. There's some from Korea, South Korea. I mean, we got guys from all over Australia. Uh, I think we got one from the Czech Republic. So, I mean, it's definitely starting to grow. We're getting, we're getting more and more international umpires every year, which is, it's great to see. Yeah, it's great for the game of baseball because it's really expanding internationally. And we've heard guys on this show, Aaron Roberts, Trevor Drury, David Cass, they've all had the experience to work in various international tournaments. And they talk about some of the countries that we don't consider baseball countries, but talking off air with them, one of the things that always changes is that these countries are getting better and better, you know, every year. Absolutely. That just brings on better umpiring. For sure it does. Absolutely. It's a, it's a great thing for the game of baseball anytime. Uh, a new country starts becoming a powerhouse or getting better. No question. And now with baseball back in the Olympics and Canadian umpire Trevor Grieve was supposed to go this year, but pandemic, of course, hit. And we've mm-hmm. had Canadian umpires work at various international events, such as Corey Davis working at the World Baseball Classic, sponsored by Major League Baseball. And Trevor Grieve has worked that tournament as well. So baseball is growing internationally, and that's a good thing. Absolutely, it is. It's, it's an exciting time for the game of baseball right now. Now, this might be a little naive on my part, but considering you had a Venezuelan as your crewmate, was there any concern with a language barrier throughout the season? Yeah, so there was a little bit, but I mean, so I, I actually knew him. He he worked in the New York Penn League as well in our first year, and then he was actually at uh, extended spring training in Florida. We were based out of the same same city, so I got to know him through there too. So, I mean, I kind of, at, at first through that uh, extended spring training, there was a little bit, but I mean, as you get to know him, know these guys their English becomes a little better and then you start to understand their English as well a little better and then you pick up obviously a little bit on Spanish he was teaching me Spanish throughout the year a little bit here and there so once you're between the lines the game of baseball is really its own language in itself yeah for sure and then and especially an umpire you know most in the game most of our communication is all nonverbal, anyways and it's universal right I mean our signal for rotation is the same here as it is in Venezuela or in the Czech Republic or Australia. I mean, we all use the same signals, which is a great thing for us. So, And like anything, if you can't figure it out, will you make up your own language and go with it? Because guess what? You got a job to do. Absolutely. And, you know, that's that's part of it. You know, we get together as a crew before the year starts. We go over all that. We go over, you know, what, what do you want to use for this signal? That kind of stuff. We hash all that out prior to the first game so that we don't have those hiccups where, you know, I'm giving one signal for an infield fly and he's doing something else and I have no idea what he's saying. We want to get that out of the way just so we don't have those communication uh, communication errors. Really nice to hear that you do that at the professional level because that's what happens at the amateur level. So it's basic fundamentals of umpiring. You know, it's a little tougher for the guys at the amateur level because you're always working with, with somebody new every night for the most part. You, you know, you're not paired up with one guy for the whole year. So you kind of got to do it every day and it gets a little monotonous. You know, it's, it's got to be done if you want to be successful. I, it's, I think it's a huge part. It's under undervalued, really, um, having that good crew communication. I think you got you, you have to do it. I, I don't even think it's a question at this point for me. You know, I, I do it whether it even, you know, with I'm, when I'm working with the same guy for 140 games a year, you know, there'll be times throughout the year where we go over things that we've covered before the year started just to refresh ourselves on it just so we we know what's going on well as the saying goes dfu display fundamental umpiring and people listening the dfu can mean a lot of things in the world of umpires now i know you've only had a short career but have you had the opportunity to work any players who have become major leaguers or have had the opportunity to work some major leaguers coming down in rehab since yeah so i don't believe that i've had any of the guys um move up from a minor leaguer to become a major leaguer yet. But I actually, I have had the opportunity to work a few big leaguers. I know in my first year in the New York Penn League, we were in Brooklyn and Noah Syndergaard was just coming back from injury and he was scheduled to start. He was throwing a rehab start in Brooklyn. So so that was pretty cool. It was actually his first start back. This is his first time throwing a baseball in a live game since he came back from his injury. You got to see Thor. Now hearing that name really pains me being a Blue Jays fan and the Dickey trade, but that's still pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely something that's different. I mean, you know, obviously my goal is to get to the big leagues and to have this guy who's there come down and and pitch in front of you. I mean, at the end of the day, you can say it's just another player, but you know, it's a guy that's worked his way up to that top level where I want to be. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's cool to have that. 
right and he's an, and he's a big boy too i think he's like six and a half feet tall so oh he's he's huge i remember in the game there was a, a baseball thing that hit the dirt or something and the catcher just threw it back and he was standing on the mound and i was working the bases so he was he's already a foot above me on the mound plus now he's six foot six or six foot seven yeah. and i'm not a very big guy i think i'm listed as five foot ten on my bio which might have been fudged an inch in your plate shoes um, yeah plate shoes with three pairs of socks on <laughs> so i'm like hey like is that baseball good and he just looks at me he looks at the baseball and he goes yeah it's good I'm like, okay sure now when we talk major leaguers coming back to do rehab stints in the minors can you share with us the intricacies and the processes and differences what happens with the baseballs between minor league baseball and major league baseball there's different baseballs used so the ones in major league baseball the seams are significantly lower than the ones in minor league baseball so whenever you have a big league pitcher come down to rehab every time they go on the mound i gotta run over to the dugout take all my minor league baseballs out of my ball bags give them to the ball boy get these major league baseballs put them in my ball bags go work that half inning finish that half inning go back to the dugout switch them out again and then for as long as he's in the game we got to keep doing that they have to use the major league baseballs as opposed to the minor league baseballs Really interesting, something that you really wouldn't get that perspective as a fan watching at home, but we're sharing with you the intricacies of rehabilitation stints and the effect on umpires here on the leading edge. Another thing with that, actually, sorry, I forgot, Yeah, is with the, so the minor league baseballs, we have to rub them up ourselves with the rubbing mud. The major league baseballs, we don't even touch. We're not allowed to rub those up. They have, you know, like they have a guy from the big league club come down with them, rub up the baseballs for them. We don't touch those at all. Well, it must be nice to get pampered like that every once in a while, especially when you're working the minor league baseball and on the road quite heavily. Now, let's talk about other Canadians in minor league baseball. Do you know anyone else that's working? Yeah, so I think I don't I, I think our number is at I want to say somewhere between 11 to 13 or 14 Canadians now. I want to say one or two guys in AAA, uh, one or two in AA, you know, guys just kind of scattered throughout the A-ball levels. Our numbers are growing, which is very good to see. And it's very, you know, it's it's a promising trend that we're on. Canada is starting to, we're starting to become more prominent in high level of umpiring, which is very nice to see. And I think it's uh, a testament to to what we're doing at the grassroots level, you know, whether it be locally, all the way up through the Baseball Canada National Level program. It's, it's awesome to see. I do think our Baseball Canada National Program does a fantastic job of getting amateur umpires vested in the game and working to the best ability they can. And one of our alumni from the Baseball Canada National Program currently working in Major League Baseball is, of course, Stu Shearwater. We talk about him a lot here on the leading edge. Now, Kevin, you and Stu have a lot in common. Where is Stu from? He is from Regina, Saskatchewan. Think he was born in Yorkton? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> Unfortunately. It's a shame. It's a shame. But I, like you said, I think we ha there's a couple guys. Chris Marco is a guy working double A, I believe. Uh, he's in triple A now this year. He got promoted to triple A, actually. Fantastic. There's a guy out of Nova Scotia, Alex Laurie. Yes. Yep. I can't say his last name. Steve Jashinsky. There we go. We're going to go with that. He's working A ball as well right at the present time. Uh, he's actually, he got promoted to double A this year. Look at this. This whole COVID thing is throwing my umpire knowledge out the window. And I know there was, what, two hired or scheduled to hired, one out of BC, I believe Craig Burt was one of them. Yes. And I can't remember the other one right now, but I want to just say, you know what, Canadians, keep working hard. There's an opportunity for you if you work hard. And the best way to get there is to really get invested in your local amateur baseball and really work your way up through the Baseball Canada program because there's lots of opportunities for umpires out there. We all know or assume that everyone's goal working minor league baseball is to get to the major league level. But Kevin, what are some of your future goals in regards to umpiring? Just like everyone else, the, the ultimate goal is to get to the big leagues. I don't think for me, for me personally, looking at it as just my only goal to get to the big leagues, I don't think that's going to work for me. And I know it's not going to work for me. So I kind of try to take it on a step-by-step -step basis. So last year it was, you know, be the best umpire I can in the Midwest League, you know, show them what I'm capable of next year, move up a level and just every year that I can, you know, just keep progressing that one year at a time to slowly chip away at that ultimate goal of reaching the big league. So for me, for next year, um, obviously the goal will be at the end of the year, hopefully get promoted to double A baseball. And then after that, just keep working my way up. 
I think that's the way to look at it. One step at a time, one play at a time, because if you look at it as majors or bust, you don't enjoy the trip along the way. No, and, and that's the thing. I mean, it's such a long road that if you just look at that one goal, it's going to seem like you're never making any progress because it, it is it is a long journey to get there, but it's that way for a reason. So that you, so you, you're ready when you get there looking at it, you know, that one step at a time, whether it be okay, this year, I want to get promoted from rookie ball to short season to next year. You know, you get that perfect. Okay. You know, this year I want to go from short season to low A. Um, just have those goals and just slowly chip away at it. And you can even take that, you know, locally, whether it's, you're only working the 16 U. Okay. I'm going to work 16 U. My goal is to get to provincials in 16 U this year, you know, work hard at that, show them that I can handle that and then work my way up to 18 U next year. It's apl- applicable at every level, not just in professional levels. Chipping away at it. It's kind of how I shovel my driveway all winter. I just know that it's going to be there tomorrow, even if <laughs> I hit it a little bit today. Exactly. And there's going to be more there tomorrow. So why take it all today? Exactly. But I think that's a great philosophy to take, Kevin. And I really want to wish you luck in chipping away at that goal because you never know where umpire is going to take you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, no, you you really don't. I mean, it, it, it for me, it might not end up with me in the big leagues if, if that's how it ends up you know I'm, I'm okay with it i'm along for the ride now hopefully it does but you know if it doesn't for me it's not the it won't be the end of the world you know i've i've went on this amazing journey i'll probably still umpire until i no longer can hey it's not over right yet so enjoy it while you're on it okay absolutely so kevin we're going to move into a fun part of the show we like to call this 10 questions simply we ask you 10 questions if i agree with them you hear the fantastic and if I disagree, straightforward, oh boy. straightforward. Okay. Stole it right from the Ellen DeGeneres show. <laughs> okay. First question. You've just worked the best game of your life. You've nailed it. You're hungry and you're excited to go celebrate. Where are you going for your post game meal? Well, it's a little different for us. We get fed at the ballpark, but uh, if I'm going, I, I got to go get a steak somewhere. I got to get a steak and probably an adult pop. Somewhere. Oh, I'm going fast food because I'm saving the per diem. (laughs) You see, I umpire with a lot of teachers, so they've kind of ingrained with me. Save the per diem as long as you can, right? That's that's a fair point. Play ball. Okay. You're not that old, but you must have grew up in the era of Power Rangers. What's your favorite Power Ranger? Oh, man. You know, I don't don't remember the Power Rangers much, but I've always been a big red guy. So I got to go with red. That's so corny, so cheesy. Green man, Tommy. Tommy's where it's at. I wasn't a big Power Rangers guy. I don't remember much. He was I'm so be cool. Honest with you. He was so cool. He got to bring his own little machine in and take over the world. <laughs> That's too bad you didn't get to watch Power Rangers. You know what? Find it online. You'll really enjoy it here through COVID. Absolutely. Okay. What would you rather have? A sports car or a jacked up truck? Funny enough, I actually just bought a truck. Uh, not too long ago, a couple of weeks ago. So I got to go with the truck. Man, man. Remember Chicks Dig the Long Ball? Like, yeah. Chicks dig the sports cars. Uh, I don't know. I like the truck. Don't, it's more practical. <laughs> yeah, I want the convertible. Elmer, this <laughs> one's for you. Okay, I'm glad to hear that you're a reader. You've talked about reading a book. What was the last book you read? Oh, my gosh. Okay, uh, Kevin, do you I, even I, have a library card? No. <laughs> a library card? What's a library I that, get everything online. That book you read before you went to umpire school, was that a picture book or what? Yeah, it was actually. <laughs> okay, I'm glad to know that you haven't read anything lately, so we'll move on. When you played baseball, you had two strikes on you. Did you choke up on the bat? No, because I knew it wasn't going to help me anyways. Maybe that would have helped you hit the ball better, you know? Remember, just play that, fundamental umpire, and you got to play fundamental baseball. I, I don't think it was going to help me. I knew, I knew my abilities, and I didn't think it was going to help, so I just didn't even try it. First pitch hacker. Yeah, swing hard in case you hit it. Okay, we're talking cars already. You come to a four-way stop. Okay, Kevin, you're from the prairies. You're coming to a four-way stop. You can see everyone coming for miles and miles, but nobody's there. Do you stop, or do you kind of simply yield? We're going to just yield and go through. I got I to gotta be honest with you. I think those stop signs are considered stoptionals. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree. Yeah, no sense stopping. I don't understand why they put them somewhere. Nah, it's ridiculous. There's nobody else out here. Yeah, sometimes you'll be driving right through the prairies and all of a sudden you get to a four-way stop and you're like, I can see Seattle. I can see Toronto. (laughs) Why are we stopping? It really just breaks up the drive. 
It's, it's the you've driven for 400 kilometers and this is just the time to stop. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's hit the golf course. Okay. Are you wearing a hat or a visor? Oh, hat. Huge Ian oh, Poulter come fan. Come on, you're a visor guy? Well, I used to be when I had hair. Now, now it's... So now hair. you're a hat guy. I have to put the sunscreen. I'm still going visor. Okay. Do you like golf? Do you golf much when you're on the summer? Yeah, I do. I try to get out quite a bit uh, when we're in the year. Who's your favorite golfer? Oh, man. I don't know. Not one of the questions, yeah. but who's your favorite? Young me. One, I mean, I got, I got to respect Tiger. Tiger's done so much. I know you. It's so one. cheesy. Yeah, I know. It's so cheesy. You got to respect it. Oh, I'm not saying I don't respect it, but saying Tiger's my favorite golfer is. I, I just, I look at everything he's accomplished, and it's incredible. We I saw a stat the other day. Tiger's second missed cut on the PGA Tour as a pro was 2005 Byron Nelson. Tiger Woods won 43 PGA Tour titles and nine majors before his second missed cut on the tour. I'm not arguing with you. The guy has a resume that's rather impressive. He could just say, hello, leading edge umpire stories, and I would get more listeners than anybody else combined. It's it's the reality, but it can't be your favorite. I mean, I'm a John Daly fan. Guy gets no... Huh? Well, the guy has two majors. Come on, two majors. He what? Won PGA Open Championship in his rookie year, and then the Open in '95. If you ever get a chance to read a book, which yeah, you should read, read his book, "My Life in and Out of the Rough." By you will. Okay. Yeah, it's a fantastic sports book. But we've done a lot. We've done enough reading here. Let's move on. Let's pretend COVID's over, and you're granted a vacation anywhere in the world you want to go. Where are you going? What t uh, What time of the is it right now? This weather? I don't care. Just like we're. Let's pretend it's perfect. Everything's perfect. Line it up. I got to go somewhere with a beach. I want to go sit on a beach. I need a drink. Well, you've just been sitting around drinking this whole time anyway, so. Yeah, not the whole time. Come on. Oh, let's move away from the beach and let's go to the dentist, okay? Mm -hmm. Do you floss regularly? Not as much as I should. Come I gotta, on, man. I, You're a young guy. You got to protect those pearlies. Oh, I got I to gotta rattle myself. Not as much as I should. Kevin's dentist. He's not flossing. So send him a, some kind of electronic invite to get him back in the office. We got to get this guy on the straight and narrow, okay? Yeah, I know. Question 10. Baseball is, is a game filled with emotion. What is the biggest fireworks moment that you've ever been part of on the baseball <laughs> field? I don't know if this is where we're going with it, but this is where I'm going to go with it. I was working a game in Brooklyn. So the stadium in Brooklyn is on Coney Island. Once a month out there, I think it is, there. there's a big fireworks show on Coney Island. And I think it starts at, you know, 1030, somewhere around there. Pretty much right as a baseball game that starts at 7 o'clock is supposed to end. So every time that Brooklyn plays at home on the day that these fireworks are, they push the game up half an hour so that the game ends before the fireworks. So then the fans can sit in the stands and watch the fireworks. We're scheduled to work this game at about 6 o'clock. The general manager comes into our locker room and says, hey, you know, we got some rain coming right away. We're going to delay the start of the game. So we end up delaying the game. I think it was an hour from the 6.30 start. We didn't start till 7.30. And we get out there, and it's still raining. We have a little bit of a delay during the game. And then this game is just dragging on. It's not moving fast. I think we're in the seventh or eighth inning, maybe. You know, I kind of kind of forgot about the fireworks that were going to happen at, after the game. And I'm getting ready to watch this pitch come in. And all of a sudden, in the background, you just hear, boom. And everyone just kind of jerks around, turns around. And there's this fireworks show going off out over the water behind the ballpark. And nobody really knows what to do. So we're all kind of just looking at each other. And we go, I don't know. I guess we keep playing. So we just kept playing through the fireworks like we we're in the sandlot. Well, I was kind of expecting an emotional story. Didn't really expect to hear actual fireworks. So that's really interesting because I've never been part of a fireworks show other than some emotions boiling over before <laughs> on the ball field. It's a good time to move into the next part of our show. A part of the show that we like to call Local Legends, simply about some people that might have helped you out along the way from your community, you know, grassroots people that really love baseball. So, Kevin, who would you consider a local legend? Gosh, there's there's so many in Saskatchewan that I could name, um, you know, like guys like like Elmer Jerkovitz, Rocky Nickel, Trevor Drury. Scott Mills, all these guys that we have on our executive are just fantastic guys. And I know personally, I they, they've helped me so much throughout my career. Well, you know, whether I was a 12-year-old umpire just starting, those guys would come out and supervise me and, and point me in the right direction at that level or push me through the program in, into level two and then into level three and then helping me, you know, work from two-man system into three-man and then working in that into provincial and Western Canada championships and into Western Canada baseball. We're very fortunate in Saskatchewan to have these guys 
that are so passionate about the game of baseball and so passionate about helping young umpires. It's, it's just a fantastic thing that we have. It is. It's really fantastic to work here in Saskatchewan. Now, I did forget to ask you, are you involved in the Baseball Canada National Umpire Program? After my first year of umpire school was my first year that I was eligible to attend a national level tournament. And so I was actually selected to work at a Pee Wee Western National Championship in 2017. And I accepted it. And then about two days after I accepted it, you know, I was invited to that camp down in Houston and and I had to give this national tournament back. Funny enough, I actually have not worked a national championship in Canada yet. Hopefully one day. That's okay. I think that 13U Western National Championship is waiting for you when you get back. I think so. I think I'm ready for it. I Now we know that you have a Mosquito AAA <laughs> Provincial Plate under your belt. Okay, but don't get too cocky now. Well, Kevin, this essentially wraps up episode eight of The Leading Edge. But before you go, I'm going to turn the floor over to you and give you the opportunity to leave our listeners with some wisdom words from Kevin Manzik. So, Kevin, it's all yours. Oh, man, I don't know if I've, I've got any, any wisdom words, but, um, you know, it, it's, been, it's been a blast being on here with you. You know, thank you for inviting me on. Um, I had a great time. Um, and I think it's awesome that you're doing this. I mean, it's it's great for for everything, you know, whether it's just guys in Saskatchewan listening. And I mean, I know there's guys all over all over the world listening to this podcast. I think it's fantastic that you know you're you're sharing these stories of our our local guys with everyone around the world. Well, that concludes this episode of The Leading Edge, where we talk with umpires about umpiring and look to cover topics on both sides of the plate. Join us on our next episode, where we bring on Baseball Canada Supervisor, 2011 Pan Am Games umpire, and a guy who still listens to 8-track tapes, Rob Allen. Now before you go, we would like to leave you with this. Being an umpire is almost like being married. There's a 50% chance that you'll get the call right, but a 100% chance that you're always at fault. Take care everybody, and stay safe.